Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm joined here with Jose, and today we'll be tackling whether or not college has outserved its purpose. During my conversation with Joe regarding the importance of slow thinking, we discussed some of the evaluative metrics such as standardized testing, IQ, and admittance to the Ivy League that has been the great sorting machine our society relies upon, preparing people for the types of work they are most fitted and capable to do. However, perhaps an even larger elephant remains in the room in the form of the institution of college itself. On one hand, colleges have historically been a place where young people wishing to seek knowledge, find themselves, and hopefully prepare for a career which may require a higher level of specialization. Between 2000 and 2018, the number of people attending college reached an all-time high with more Americans attending either a two-year or four-year university than ever before. However, this increase in attendance has had some unforeseen repercussions with total student debt reaching $1.5 trillion and the average per capita student debt ranging from around $26,000 to $32,000. In the past, such costs could be simply written off as the price of admission. But even before the high levels of unemployment caused by the coronavirus, many college graduates and even some with advanced degrees are finding themselves working alongside their friends who went straight to work right out of high school. However, Defenders of college would argue that if we simply did away with the institution, what new markers could society create to judge whether someone is fully qualified to perform the job in which a candidate desires? The elimination of college might leave in its wake widespread corruption, nepotism, and people who simply hire their friends or the people that they like. Jose, you've had a very interesting story about how you found your job. Could you go ahead and elaborate a bit more on this? Right. So uh, first things first, Aaron, thanks for having me. No um, worries. Appreciate the moment, the, uh, the opportunity. I think it was the fall of 2017, I decided to go back to school. So I was 32 when I went back to school. Before that, I was a truck driver. I was driving cross country, um, tractor trailers, 18 wheelers from Washington to Florida. But that was running dry very, very quickly. And... Uh, Thankfully, I noticed it, I guess, in time, got out, went back to school. Uh, it was around the time that Governor Cuomo had put into effect the Excelsiorship program. So yes. that was a huge incentive for me, huge incentive. For those who don't know, uh, those who do the Excelsior Scholarship can get f a free uh, CUNY or SUNY education. So that's how I ended up going back to school, right? I went for, I decided on civil engineering technologies. Um, I loved it. Loved every second of it. It was great. At least, you know, the last year was because that's when we got to the meat of it all. But how I ended up in what I'm doing now, now I work as a drafter. And what a drafter is, is basically somebody who works on blueprints for an architect or an engineer. So I sit in front of the computer all day, saving the world one blueprint at a time. <laughs> and, um, and I got there because one of my professors was actually looking for somebody to you know, to replace his current, uh, at the moment, his current um, student slash protege. He, he has been doing this for a while. You know, I asked him at one point, like, do, do you get the majority of your workers from school? 
He says, no, not really. But every now and then I see somebody that's worth teaching a little bit more. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So, uh, so that made me feel good, you know, because it, hmm. it said to me that he's selective. And of course he has to put um, that's always nice. I, I always found it nice. Like when a teacher, like, like we have this thing, like we can't all be special and I totally get that, but it's kind right. of nice when, if you have a class of 25 kids, maybe one of them actually is doing what they should be, or is like a, going beyond above and beyond. And it's kind of nice when, when you get acknowledged like that. Oh yeah. Acknowledgement <laughs> goes a long way. I don't know why. <laughs> So he didn't hire me immediately. He actually hired me a year later. He kind of gave me a semi-brief little interview while, you know, on like the last week of class, he, he told me, uh, he told me that he liked my work ethics. Right? He said he, he liked that I was always there, that I always handed in my work, and that he liked my presentation. And again, the acknowledgement went a long way. I appreciated that. It made me feel that the extra effort that I put in to, to make something, you know, to take pride in what you do and make something what it's supposed to be, that somebody was taking notice. Now, would you say that this kind of relationship you had with other professors, like, would you also work hard and they would be like, hey, Jose, I, I notice you're working hard, or was it just with him? No, no, no. It was definitely across the board. It was definitely across the board. And I think to give credit to, you know, to what it is, I think it, it was because of my age. I was surrounded with 18, 22 year old, <laughs> well, I'm 32. I had, I had more in common with my professors than I did with my classmates. Sure, sure. So whenever my professors would complain about a rough day, I wouldn't have the same little catchphrases that the 18 year olds would have. You know, yeah. it would be totally different and we can get into a conversation. And, uh, and from that conversation grows a bit of a rapport. You tie that together with, now I'm a 32 year old in college and I don't have time to waste. You know, I did that already. I'm looking at my classmates to the left and the right, and I'm thinking, that's exactly what I was doing. And look at me now. <laughs> you know, years it, later, it's, it's also funny because I, I find that, like, you have to, in order to learn in this world, you have to be ready to learn. And that I think that's something that our society yeah. doesn't fundamentally understand. And I think when you're older and you've been through some pretty rough things, like you've had some pretty crappy jobs, some really rough bosses, you had like roommates and you, you kind of went through all of that. Then when you see the, you know, cuddly professor standing in front of the room, you can kind of appreciate them a bit more because you've, you've dealt with some royal, uh, jerks in your life and then when you have somebody who's actually giving you praise and taking a vested interest in you you're at a state where you actually appreciate that absolutely 100 percent. and you know it's it's I, I like that you said that because we definitely you know amongst all your teachers there's always going to be professors there's always going to be one that that's a little bit of a hard ass and i would get along with all of them famously and a lot of the other students would complain about one or two in particular you know all the time and the only reason why it never bothered me was because I, was, I wasn't there to be liked. I wasn't there to make friends. I was there to learn. I had an objective. I need to learn these things so that I can get these grades and move myself into a better position in life. Like, right. This is what's keeping me at this moment. So I, I was just focused, very, very focused. The attitude is I, I need to know what today's lesson is. When I was in college and I was taking this math class, 
I, I remember it was the first math class I ever took in college. And I immediately took a seat in the back of the classroom. And, you know, the professor was doing her thing. And there was this guy next to me. And I noticed he was on, uh, like, his, this kid was next to me on his cell phone. Of course, this was one of those, like, flip phones. Like, we didn't have smartphones. And he was, like, playing some kind of centipede or whatever game on there. And I turned to him and I say, yeah, I, you know, I, I get to know him a little bit. And then he casually tells me, yeah, this is the third time I'm taking this class. And I was like, oh, okay. The very next class, I immediately sat in the front of the room. <laughs> and, I, I, and from that point forward, I knew I want to be one of the front of the classroom students, not one of the back of the room students. And I, I, I think that's just something that, that we all need to be aware of that, like, no matter who's in the class with us, no matter how unmotivated they are, we always have that power to sit where we want. And we always have that power to be the kind of student that we wish to be. I absolutely agree. So in the class, uh, the professor tells me, yeah, he acknowledges, and he says, uh, but there's a conflict of interest here. You're hmm. still in my class. I can't hire you right now. That's that just wouldn't work out. So fast forward, um, not a whole about the semester and then during the break is when he picked me up. Right. He goes into the office. He looks over my resume. At that time, I guess like most other uh, college kids, the, the perfect job is anything in the food business. So I was a bartender. Good times, by the way. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> I would never do it again. Never do it again. Oh my you seem God. like a very charming man. So I think that you probably racked up the tips pretty nicely, right? <laughs> you got to. <laughs> uh, you know what? There are moments there where I do wonder if I want to go back in there. <laughs> the tips were good. Yeah, I was working in the city in a great location. So yeah, yeah, I was doing all right. But he looks at my resume and he says, so clearly you have no experience in this whatsoever. I say no. You know, the, there's no room for charm in that one. I just, you know, <laughs> I got nothing. Hard truth. Yeah, yeah. And he says, um, he says, all right, well, listen, the advantage here is that I had you as a student already. So I have an idea of what you're like as a worker. So uh, what do you say? And I say, yeah, yeah, let's do this. He started me off at 15 an hour. Huge pay cut. Huge pay cut from what I was used to working three days in the city, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I would, I would come out of there exhausted. It would take me an extra three days just to recover from how tired I was and then going to school. But sure. money wise, I was good. I was, I was financially okay. But I'm thinking this is along the lines of a career path. This is what I want to do. Um, not only am I working in the field now, but I'm also going to school for it. Like, yeah, this is great. This is where I need to be. Believe it or not, I love the office desk life. I love <laughs> <laughs> going to work, sitting in a desk and just clicking away. I'm like, wow. I never thought I never thought I would get used to it so fast, but it's a lot less stressful. It's a, it, the quality of life is a lot better. It's like, I, I, all right, I do have one complaint. My, sure. my biggest complaint is that almost every single job I've had has been a bit physically demanding. So it kept me in shape. Yes. But yeah. Being said, um, wow, I need, to, I need to go jogging. I need to find a gym. I, need, oof, I, feel, I feel bad. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny. I'm the op I love being on my feet at any job. Like, it's okay. I, I like to sit down maybe if, if you have like, let's say an eight hour work day, I would say 
okay, I can sit down. It's nice to sit down for two or three hours, but the rest of the time I want to be on my feet because then my back starts hurting. If you're using a mouse all day, your wrist starts like feeling weird. Like I, I'm definitely a, a walker. I used to take little uh, mile laps in the office. But um, that's, I guess, the only downside in my book is is I'm not, I'm not active as much as I used to be. Okay. Um, I want to... I'll get this back to on the topic of if college is necessary. So for your job as a drafter, uh, the people who typically have this job, do they usually have a bachelor's degree in something? Actually, no, believe it or not. If you know what you're doing with the experience, you know, because nowadays, well, not nowadays, since the beginning, what everybody looks for as a requirement is an experience, right? Two to three years experience. And, what I found on like ZipRecruiter, on Indeed, on uh, on any other hiring website is that entry level is 30 an hour. And um, that's with two years experience. That's with benefits. That's with vacation time, 401k, 401k even. And this is not asking for even an associates. This is just asking for two years experience uh, and proficiency in the you know, very specific set of programs. AutoCAD, uh, Revit, uh, you know, things of these nature. Um, but no, no, as far as, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, that pay grade goes up if, if you do have school and now you can get into a manager position or, or something of a supervisor thing. And yeah, that pays better. So that piece of paper does help, you know, as far as, uh, as, far as how much money you stand to make, because there is a cap. Um, but as far as getting your foot into the door, no, nah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter as much as I thought it would. Let me ask you this. Um, so with this job, when he interviewed you, he knew that you had zero experience. How long did it take for you to master the job that you were hired for? Well, the the beautiful thing about this that keeps me interested in is, is that um, it's still evolving. It's always going to be evolving. The way that you put things together there's always a better way to do something, right? So this is something that you have to keep yourself a little bit updated as far as new materials, new construction methods, new techniques, right? But so yeah, it's something that you always have to keep yourself updated on. But as far as being able to, to do things on my own, it was a matter of months. But again, it, I, can't, I can't say that this is something that everybody can pick up quickly or easily. It does require a lot of t- attention to detail and forward thinking and you know even in my position i still have to make executive decisions about damn it's off by an inch okay is this is this something to complain about is it is it okay is it going to pass and then think about it logically right and like if these two beams are coming together how much of a difference is an inch going to make things like that um yeah it's gonna say four or five months and after that he kind of let go of the reins he's like all right you're, you pretty much got the gist of what we do here now, now it's just a matter of, okay, Jose, now do this a little different or add this or put that there. It's not a teaching moment as much as, as it was before. When you were learning these things, like during this five months of learning the job, were you mostly learning through reading like a book or just asking him a lot of questions? How did that process go? So I started out by asking a lot of questions, right? But then I realized that that's not, at first, yeah, he wanted me to ask questions, but what he wanted me to do was was to think for myself, right? There were so many things, and this is in hindsight now, 
so many things that I realized I didn't need to ask him that. I could have figured that out on my own if I had just stopped and thought about it a little longer. So what he started doing eventually was he would give me bigger and bigger workloads. Whereas before everything was, was already marked up, everything was just kind of spoon fed to me. Now it was fewer directions, bigger responsibilities. And it was up to me to get it done. He didn't care how, he would just get it done from A to B. I don't care how you do it, make it happen. So a lot of time like on Google and things like that, like figuring out like, oh, that's how that works and so forth, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, and uh, things like, for example, we work with a lot of codes. So instead of asking him what the code is or what the limits are, well, go figure it out, look it up. When you made this transition from asking him questions, learning on your own, how did that make you feel? Did you, did you feel like time went by quicker? Did you feel like you learned faster just learning on your own? Or what, was there like a steep curve of like, oh my goodness, I don't have anyone to like push me in the right direction anymore? I was nervous, very, very nervous. And, and to this day, I still am a little bit because um, I'll, I'll go to these meetings with him where, where you know, the owners there, the, the contractors are there, the engine, the, the electric guy, the, where all these big heads are there, right? The, the, the heads of all their teams and departments. And, and um, you know, I'm kind of there representing him. And if I don't know something, I feel, I feel very, very timid. I feel very insecure. So not, just not, not having that safety net made me very nervous, but it also pushed me. It definitely made me go home and, and start looking things up on my own. You know, on my off time, I was thinking about what I was supposed to be doing at work. And um, yeah, it just drove me. It drove me even harder, honestly. I think it was great. So if you compare that five-month learning experience to sitting in like a formal classroom where the professor tells you what to copy down, what you should be doing at all times, do you think that you would rather, like if you had a choice of, okay, I could have a job where for five months I sit in a classroom and then my boss explains me how to do the job or kind of like a self-discovery, self-exploration kind of training period, what would you choose? I think what they try to do in college is they try to teach you a certain way of thinking, right? At least in my, in my field, that's, that's eventually what their goal was. Not necessarily to put this information in us, but to show us a different way of looking at things. So that go out and look for it yourself kind of mentality, that was one thing that, was tried to, that they tried to instill in us. But still, it was, it was nothing compared to being out in the field and, and, and having that, that, that fear of, of when you finally realize, like, wait, hold on, people are actually looking at these, th at these drawings, they're actually depending on these things and this is how it's actually getting built. I passed by a house that I've worked on. You know, I, I didn't physically work on it, but when a customer requests for something and we draw up the plans and we get, we send them over to the contractor and you pass by a few months later and you see it done and the customers are happy. That's, that's an awesome feeling. That's not something that you can get in the class really. I don't think that can compare to a grade. I like, I actually like what you're saying because in school we write a lot of papers and we take a lot of exams. But there's no house at the end of that. There's no like, yeah, I built that house. Or there's no, yes, like I'm responsible for that wall over there. So I think that be, like it is being able to see something physical, like a huge motivator in wanting to learn. 
You know, you want to hear something? I just remember one of my professors at the very beginning, um, he told the entire class, you guys, that piece of paper that you get, that's to tell your employers that you are teachable. That's, that's what you're here to do is, is to, to be molded, to be, you know, teachable at the end, to be a tool for somebody else so that they can make their business grow is word for word what he said. And, and at first it was a bit of a shocker, but, but it's the truth really. Why I like what you said earlier is, you know, you would come to the class that first time, sit in the back and then automatically go to the front of the class. The next one, you had like a little flash forward moment, like, oh man, that's me. <laughs> that's me in three, in three semesters. No way. Matter of fact, I'm going to go up there. Right. And that was, I guess, indirectly, uh, like a little bit of training, training on the low. Like, you know what, if you don't want to be that guy, you need to sit in the front of the class. You know, you, you're saying that the piece of paper just is like a, a sign to an employer, like, hey, um, I can follow through on things, right? Like, so the degree kind of represents, like, you can count on me to turn things on, in on time. You can count on me to, like, uh, you know, hey, uh, meet deadlines and so forth. What would you, is your, is your, is your current boss, he's a architect, is that correct, would you say? Correct, yeah. And... Do you think that if you continued along this trajectory, you could eventually know just as much as him and call yourself an architect? Or do you think there is a limit of like, well, I, I would need to go back to school in order to call myself an architect? Or, or do you think that if you just kept on following directions, kept on Googling it, kept on you know, pushing yourself, you could eventually know just as much as he does? If he, if he ever did have that much patience, Yes, I could definitely, because it would be a matter of him passing on all his knowledge over to me. <clears throat> and that would be one, does he want to, you know, and two, can he? Now that's, that's where school comes in, right? That's, that's where school is a huge asset because it's, it's where all this information is in one place, you know, and for so many different industries and fields, you could, you could do it not just for architect, but for medicine and, you know, technology as well. Because it's interesting, I have friends that um, have gone to coding boot camps, right? And there is like the traditional CS degree, you know, you go to a four-year college, you take your calculus class, and then you get uh, your, your computer science degree, and then you can get a job. But there are these computer boot camps that cut out the calculus, cut out the physics class, cut out the, you know, English language requirement or whatever extra things that you need to do. And they just teach you to code, 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 code. And a lot of these guys and gals can perform the job just as proficiently as someone who has like the four, four year computer science degree they learned all the same skills. It's just that they cut out all the fat. They cut out all the extra classes that you need to take. Do you think like something like that could be created for, for being an architect? Do you think, could you envision a model of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to start by, by saying that, I mean, whether, whether we like it or not, it's usually a matter of who you know and not what you know, right? So for anybody, for any employer that doesn't know you, well, that's where that piece of paper comes in. It's it's a it's almost like a a, a testament to to like you were saying your ability to follow through. It's um it's it's becoming or it's been I don't know for how long now for to how many people. Uh, part of college is also a business. I don't know what part of college is you know, a, a business, but 
when you take into account the, the way that the debt works for a student, right, for, for any doctor or lawyer and how after they graduate, they're, they're in no better situation than a guy flipping burgers at McDonald's as far as their financial crises, you know, they may have a house and a car, but they're strangled in debt, they still can't afford a vacation. And this is how many years after you graduate, there are people 10 years and they still can't go on a vacation because they're paying off debts. And, and, and then there's, there's also the part of um, like books, you know, how, how um, I, don't think, I don't think we have it set up so that you can get an efficient education outside of a college institution, right? Because sure, we could restructure the entire learning system so that we can make uh, becoming a doctor somewhat of a learning process, like, like a vocation, like trying to be a mechanic. You know what I'm saying? It's something that you don't need to go to a big, huge, pristine school for. It's something that you go and you get your training, your knowledge, you go right to the meat of it and you get your training and, and your knowledge. And then you go on and you do what you want to do in life. Let me see. And then, and then there's always the thing about sports. Exactly when that turned the whole thing about college into this completely different animal where, where it's just all about the teams and, and uh, primetime TV channels. And there's been a lot of cases that I've heard where, where uh, you know, where a college is more interested in their, in their basketball team than they are in their, in their music uh, or their, you know, science department or something like that. And, and it just makes you think like, when, when, what are we really doing here? And, and isn't there a better way to do this? You know, as far as can you get there, uh, you know, become an architect without, going to college but yeah definitely definitely I think you could but I don't think that we're set up for that and I think that it's for many reasons and none of them are for our benefits I like what you said about um, getting straight to the meat right like if you want to be a doctor then you should just be studying the things that a doctor should know some people might push back on that and say and say that a doctor would need to know how to write and that even if you were a journalist, you would need to be able to do certain basic levels of math. So for example, if you're writing an article and you're a journalist, you need to be able to talk about data and you may need to take like a statistics class in order to understand that. So it's kind of a fine line of where, where is the fat and what is essential to doing the job. And, and I think that's a really difficult sorting process. Well, I totally agree. And in, and it's always going to be difficult because of, because of the system that we're in right now, because of the way that it's structured. So we're in a structured system, trying inside of it, trying to look for a better system. But you got to get out of that system so that you can find something that we're better. I see what you're saying. We can't like um, invent something. Like we have to invent something completely new before we can abandon what it is that we already have. Right. So I'm I'm not I'm not saying that um, that there is a better way or a better method of getting to becoming a doctor through a vocational kind of system. I, I, I don't know. What I am saying is that I don't believe that as society we're interested in finding a better way. Mm. That's why we haven't thought of it yet because we are not really interested in looking for another way to do this. Right. And I pointed out the thing about college being a business because I think that's what's driving us to kind of stay complacent with how things are now. There are too many people that like the way things are now so much so that it's probably not going to change anytime soon. I, I agree. I, I think there's a lot of uh, vested interest in this. And I think it's remarkably, you know, it's failing a lot of people because ultimately only, 
only a third of people actually end up getting their bachelor's degree. Uh, more than 50% of people uh, drop out of college before completing all four years and getting their degree. So I think that we are at a level where it's failing way too many people. Like I, Like who in their right mind would say, like who would buy a refrigerator that only worked 50% of the time? I think, I think right. that, that, that would be absolutely ridiculous. No one in their mind would buy any appliance that worked 50% of the time. Why, why would we um, put up with a system that only works for like a third of the people that are actually entering it? Those, those are the people that are running the system, I guess. More the, they're the ones that are feeding into the way the system is run. Every, every system needs fuel, right? So for the system of government, it's fuel, it's, it's people, right? Now, each people can be looked at as a, as a piece, a gear, a nut, or a bolt. So one third of them is, is the bigger nuts and bolts of the system. So it's like an acceptable loss almost. It's like um, if, if it is, as long as some people, as long as some parts are coming out okay, it's totally acceptable that these people are casualties. And when, when what I mean by casualties is that they leave with no credentials, they leave with no job, and they leave perhaps thousands of dollars in debt. It's acceptable depending on uh, which side of it you're on. Essentially, how big are your bolts? You know, if you're one of the big bolts, of course it's acceptable. You got to keep the machine running. If you're one of the small bolts, if you're on the receiving end, peons and whatnot, then no, it's not. It's mm, not. Mm. It's more of a no man gets left behind mentality. Let's say our hospitals were failing 50% of its patients. I think us as a society would rebel against that and say, hey, we need better hospitals. So I don't know why we have that same tolerance for, for education. Like I mentioned before, it's, it's sort of like a, a training ground for, for a way to think. Yes. I, mean, I don't know if it'll be the same, let's say, for, for somebody that wants to get into journalism, if a professor would tell them something of the same sort, like, you guys are here so that we can make you teachable. Mm. I don't know if something like that would, would happen in any other profession or field, but I could definitely see how, how the, uh, the, the routine or the ritual of, of, of thinking, and now it's, it's become household common knowledge, common thought, I guess, right? that if you want to do good in life, you absolutely have to go to college. Right. So that there's no way around it. Maybe now it's not so much anymore, but I know when I was growing up, that was embedded into me. Like, there is no way around this. If you don't go to school, you see that guy over there in the corner drinking every single day of the week, that's going to be you. You spoke offline. You said that you had some other uh, friends or former classmates of yours that also found, like, another way to kind mm -hmm. of beat the system or, or, or get, like, a a lucrative or at least a job that could sustain them outside of college. Right. Right. So I was mentioning a friend of mine, <clears throat> we were in class together and halfway through the course, he ended up switching majors to something that uh, wasn't as hard and, and uh, would apparently yield as much money. But halfway through that, he started getting sidetracked. He told me that he was starting to advertise on his Twitter account. He had enough followers that he was making a substantial revenue off of it. So little by little, he stopped going to school, basically. I still hear from him every now and then, and, and he's, still, he's still in it. He has, he has a family business as well, so it's, it's not like this is his only form of income. Or, but considering that it's something that he was doing in his spare time, and he got to the point where he could potentially live off of it, it made, it made me question 
you know, why am I going to school then? You know, why, why aren't I learning from you how to do this too? You know, I, I don't know. It, it, it didn't nag at me enough. I didn't follow through with it. I, I kind of just dismissed it and went back to my studies. I, I think that there is like this fear of the unknown. Like we, we have this, like, like this, we definitely, like the system is definitely perpetuated off of fear of, of like, okay, if you get off this golden escalator, you're going to fall all the way down. And once you fall off the mountain, you can never climb yourself back up. And I, I think, I think fear is never a good reason to do something. I think that if you want to go to college, it's because you really love knowledge and you really want to learn and you really want to read those books and you really want to immerse yourself in that environment. But I, I think that there's a lot of people that are attending because they're just fearful that they're not necessarily wanting to be philosophers, but they, they are afraid that they are somehow going to be left behind if they don't do it. And it comes back to what I said in the beginning of the argument or the discussion rather, can we really teach people that don't want to learn? They're just there because they're fearful. No, you can't. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can teach somebody who doesn't want to learn, but you know what I was just thinking is, is I think we've been bred to, to, think a certain way this is no longer college institutions i think this is you know our our government upon us kind of keeping us um as the batteries of of society more or less um and i'm and i'm wondering if there's a way to break out of that and and i always i always go back to thinking is there a better way to raise our kids Mm. because i think that's that's where the cycle breaks and that's where it begins is with another generation it's it's very hard to change a generation that already grew up a certain way, at least in my opinion. That's a good point. No, that's, that's a good point that I, I think, um, I think, I think what it's going to take is, and we're already starting to see this. I think that maybe going to college in the eighties and nineties and maybe early two thousands, maybe it was a solid bet. Maybe you went there and you knew that you put in your time, got your piece of paper, you got your nice job with your benefits. But I think as successive generations are going through the same machine and they're coming out with nothing, I think they're going to be the ultimate ones that decide, wow, I got really burnt by this thing. I don't want my children touching this flaming, hot, broken machine. So I, I think it's through that experience. I think it's if enough people get burned by something, they know not to touch the stove anymore. Right, right. Agreed. All right, Jose, it was a pleasure having you. And thank you so much for sharing your story here today. Aaron, likewise, pleasure to be here. Hopefully we can do this again. Absolutely. Thank you. This concludes the 20th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azarod.